Well, Jenna, thank you. That's a good word, not just for children, but also for all of us. So I want to add to uh, this morning by just picking up where we started last week. We're in the change of season. The roar filled the cavernous chamber, shaking the rough-hewn stone pillars that held the ceiling precariously aloft. The giant black chains rattled and strained as dozens struggled to hold the beast and then sagged as it sat down exhausted, its acrid breath fouling the air. The old woman walked slowly, the tapping of her staff with each step creating a soothing rhythm, a pulse of certainty, of inevitability. The beast snarled as she stopped. Its bright eyes, pits of flame, holding court over a visage of writhing rage. She spoke without hesitation, her voice clear and cold. Your dominion is over. The beast's eyes tightened to fiery slits. Its laughter was the sound of bones scraping one another, cracking when they snapped. As she lifted her staff, the giant chains pulled tight, yanking the beast back toward the pit that waited. Its claws tore at the ground, leaving great grooves in the earth. It turned its head, its burning eyes finding hers at just a moment before it plunged into the darkness that waited. The great gates were lowered in place and lashed tight. She slumped, tired from the effort, thinking of what the beast had sent into her mind as it fell, the one word, soon. Her granddaughter came to hold her, her eyes wide. Is that it? Are the hundreds gone for the season? The grandmother squeezed her shoulder and smiled. I think so. I hope so. And they walked out together as the beast of summer fell. So the beast of summer has fallen. Yay, what a great story. The season of fall has begun. Fall's arriving, as Otto reminded us. It is not yet here in its fullness, but it is arriving. It's like the kingdom. Slow in coming, but it's coming. The kingdom's arriving. It's here, but it's not yet here in its fullness. Somewhat like the pandemic, but the opposite. The pandemic is here, yet it's coming to an end. It's slow to end, but it's ending. We're beginning to plan for our next season when we can regather in person. The change of the season is introducing our community to change as well. There's some things that we need to add. There's some things that we need to subtract. We won't be the same when we regather. Last week, we introduced the need of making disciples. We have relied far too long on inviting others to our meetings. And it's time for us to get back to what Jesus started before there were church buildings and church services. So we want to learn, how do we partner with the Holy Spirit to make disciples as Jesus did? And that's what we're going to explore this morning. I wish everyone could have been here last week because we had really a robust conversation about the making of disciples. By the end of it, 
I wish that I would have had one of those, uh, I don't even know what they call it. I think there's probably a word, but men in black had the little thing that you could point and go, you could erase everybody's memory. And I, that's what I want. I wish I had that ability just to erase the memory that we have of disciple making or discipleship because most of us have had really bad experiences with that. And I don't think that's what Jesus intended. Uh, so I want to get back. How did Jesus, if Jesus is asking us to go and make disciples in the nations, how did he do it? And what can we learn from that? So Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at his tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Disciple making begins with walking about. Last week, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This week, he is walking down the road that leads from Capernaum, I think probably toward the east side of the lake. Last week, I, I just invited us, get out and walk. Again, Jesus is out and about walking. Disciple making begins with walking about. And as disciple makers walk about, they notice the people on the route. Their prayer is something like this. Father, you're at work in everybody's lives. Some are ready to respond to your invitation to come along with me in following Jesus. Show me who that is. I want to extend an invitation to them. That's what Jesus did. Jesus walked about. After spending time with God his Father, he asked his Father to show him who to invite to accompany him and learn with him. To Peter and his brother Andrew, Jesus used an exclamation. Come on, come on, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. To James and John, on the same day, the same beach, Jesus called them. Now, a calling is somewhere between a summons and an invitation. Jesus is extending to James and John a divine invitation. Come, follow me. To Matthew, he said, come along with me. In the context, it's like Jesus invited Matthew to step out from the tax booth and start walking down the road with Jesus from the tax booth into a new territory. See, the invitation is not always the same, but disciple makers walk about after praying for God to show them people in their route who are ready to be invited to come along. Disciple makers invite human beings to come along in following Jesus. 
to start an apprenticeship of learning who Jesus is and how to join Jesus on his mission of announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. Sometimes, when a disciple maker invites the right person, he enters into a whole new set of relationships. Matthew was one of those right people. Not long after Jesus invites Matthew to come along, we find Jesus and his four novice followers in Matthew's home at Matthew's table dining with Matthew's friends. Matthew's friends were social outcasts, irreligious, unobservant of the Jewish law and custom, though all of them were born Jews. They knew the Ten Commandments. They weren't thinking the Ten Commandments, and they weren't doing the Ten Commandments. The tax collectors like Matthew were hated and despised by their neighbors for two reasons. One, they worked for foreigners. They worked for Romans. They were hired by Rome to collect taxes. And having that job, they took full advantage of the opportunity given them to do their job because they could feed their greed and they could exact taxes unfairly, always for an extra amount. The religious, the Pharisees, were the polar opposites of the tax collectors and sinners. They were separatists who kept themselves clean from contact with the goyim. They were religious. They worked hard to observe Torah. They may not have been thinking Torah as much as working Torah. They were quick, really quick, to find fault with Jesus' choice of friends and potential followers. Disciple makers are many times misunderstood and rejected by church folks. Disciple makers are drawn. Lost my place, got to find it, excuse me. Disciple makers are drawn to be with the kind of people that the church works hard to keep away from. Let me repeat that. Disciple makers, like Jesus, are drawn to be with the kind of people that the church works hard to keep away from. Like the Pharisees of the first century, we church folks need to take to heart Jesus' words if we want to get back to making disciples. First, Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God is more pleased when we show mercy to fellow human beings than we, when we build our lives removing ourselves from sinful human beings by our self-righteous acts of sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus went on to say, I've come to call not the righteous, but the unrighteous. The divine invitation, the same invitation given to James and John, coming through Jesus 
and those that he trains is an invitation to the hated, the despised, the outcast, the irreligious, the rebels. The righteous are deaf and blind to that invitation. Now I wonder, are we up to the task of making disciples in our generation? Last week I shared with you several quotations from contagious disciple-making. Here's another quote. Jesus left 11 men, some of, some of whom doubted, standing on a hilltop. Some were illiterate, others were rebels. All would be considered ill-prepared to fulfill the task Christ gave to them and the church. But if Christ deemed these 11 very marginal leaders fit enough to carry forward the Great Commission, perhaps we need to rethink what we are doing. We can do this. As long as we partner with the Holy Spirit, we can be people who make disciples like Jesus made disciples. So Holy Spirit, come. We welcome your ministry to be with us because it's only the Holy Spirit that can transform us from religious people to spiritual people who think less about our sacrifice, the way we do church, and more about mercy extended to fellow human beings. Quoting Contagious Disciple Making, religion is about how we do church. Spirituality is about how we live out our relationship with God and people in such a way that we, our families, and our communities are transformed. Only the Holy Spirit can help us present the good news of the kingdom as honestly and aculturally as possible. Again, quoting, identifying our personal culture, including our religious and nationalistic traditions, and keeping them from permeating new work is the greatest hurdle we face. Our Christian culture can have an extremely negative impact on disciple-making. Only the Holy Spirit can open our eyes to the need for cross-cultural disciple-making in our country. As I shared last week, I believe the consensus in our nation has changed. Our Judeo-Christian consensus of the past is gone. I don't believe we're going to get it back. We've entered another land, another season. We, we live in a land with a secular consensus. We're going to have to go cross-cultural to make disciples. So let me end where I, where I began last week. This penetrating question has remained with, has remained with me. How do we help? How do we help? How do we help? You see, disciple-making is not about helping me. It's how do I help others? How do I help the millions of lost people who will never step foot inside the doors of existing churches fall in love with Jesus? How do we help? How do we serve? How do we help 
lost people not attend meetings, not necessarily get more knowledge of the Bible. How do we help lost people fall in love with Jesus? How will we show mercy to the lonely, the insecure, and the fearful? How do we do mercy? Mercy is action. How will we find the lost who will never step foot inside the doors of our church buildings? We have to go to them. They will not come to us. So I'm left with these questions for us. Do we love Jesus? Do we love him? Do we know his love for us? Are we following Jesus day by day, best we can? None of us are perfect. But are we striving to follow Jesus, to live according to his teaching, to put his word into action from the inside out? And have we experienced help from Jesus with our own loneliness, our insecurities, and our fears. Because if we've experienced that help and we want to extend mercy and we love Jesus, then it makes sense that we would want others that are lost in their insecurity, in their fear, in their loneliness to experience Jesus as we have. Will we, like Jesus, begin to walk around with our eyes open to the people already in our path. I believe there's already someone in the path that you're walking upon that's a potential follower of Jesus. We don't have to go far from our neighborhood, from our office building, from our, our school, from our, our shopping center, from the gas station, there's somebody in our path. Are we walking about with eyes open to see those people? Will we begin to ask the Holy Spirit to show us those people already in our path who are ready to respond to the divine invitation through relationship with us? It's got to come from the Holy Spirit because they're not going to look like it on the outside. Their actions may not say they're ready, but somehow we know from the knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives that in their heart they're ready to respond to an invitation to come, come along with me. Let's discover who Jesus is and how we can help us. Now, those words might not jump off your lips immediately, so let's, can we just practice so, would you repeat these phrases after me? Come with me. Let's discover who Jesus is and how he can help us. Okay, let's, can we do it one more time? I just, I just think it might be helpful to practice. Ready? Repeat after me. Come with me. Let's discover who Jesus is 
how he can help us. That's where disciple-making starts. Help us, Lord. Amen. Every week, we have to say farewell. You know, this is such a small touch. Farewell.